I want us all to imagine for a second that we're living in medieval Europe. It's October of 1347, and you're a merchant at the Sicilian port of Messina, living the life. Now, it's a regular day, busy, hectic, but it's about to get worse. Twelve trade ships from the Black Sea port and greet dockhands with what one could only imagine as being a sign of the apocalypse. The commotion down port draw a crowd, and when you go to investigate, you're shocked at the sight before your eyes. You come face to face with hundreds of dead and dying sailors, covered in black boils that ooze blood and pus, and you're standing just a little too close. By the time that the authorities order for the ships to depart, it's too late. You look down and you see black rats scurrying between your feet into the crowd. And for the next five years, two-thirds of the European population will die. But you won't be alive long enough to see it. You head home. You tell your spouse and kids the news. It's unfortunate, but in three days, they'll be dead. And so will you. What's up, weirdos? Welcome to a very special episode of Another Strange Podcast. I'm your humble host, Steven, and this is episode two. Officially, episode two. It's not a point anymore, it's two. Uh, This one's called Epidemics and Pandemics. And uh, boy, oh boy, what a time to be alive in a world where we are experiencing our very own pandemic. Uh... I decided that this would be a cool topic, seeing as we're all flipping out over the coronavirus that seems to have taken over our lives. In a matter of weeks, we've changed the way we shop, interact with one another, and go about our day-to-day lives. And uh, most of us are inside going out of our fucking minds. And healthcare workers are fighting what seems to be a losing battle with the virus that just doesn't seem to stop. But I wanted to make this episode to ease your anxiety. You see, global pandemics are something that have uh, plagued humanity since the beginning of recorded history. And even before that, there's mass burial sites that prove it. But first, let's have a little vocabulary lesson. Excuse me. I'm going to make this distinction at the top because it's something that I needed clarification on myself. What's the difference between an epidemic and a pandemic? Well, an epidemic is small time. The World Health Organization classifies it as being at a regional or community level. So, for example, um, your neighbor Kyle likes to bake cupcakes, and he enjoys giving those cupcakes to everybody on the block. But Kyle is also a piece of shit that doesn't cover his mouth when he sneezes. So when he's baking, Kyle sneezes all over the fucking place and it gets into your cupcakes, giving you, your family, and everybody else in the community the flu that he just got over. That's an epidemic. A pandemic is much larger. A pandemic is actually an epidemic that has spread throughout the community. And then the country. And then the continent. And then, maybe, the world. So, fuck Kyle. And now that we know what we're dealing with, let's get straight into it. So, you remember those mass burial sites I mentioned? Well, 
About 5,000 years ago, an epidemic wiped out a prehistoric village in China. The bodies of the dead were stuffed inside a house and burned down. And no age group was safe during this thing. Skeletons of kids, young adults, and middle-aged people were all found inside the house. The archaeological site is now called Hamenmanga, and it is one of the best-preserved prehistoric sites in northeastern China. Archaeological and anthropological studies indicate that the epidemic happened so quickly that there was no time for proper burials. And after that, the remaining villagers fucking booked. I mean, what else is there to do? Stay and rebuild? Fuck no! You burn that shit down, and you get out before you meet the same fate. Before the discovery of the Hamingmanga, another prehistoric mass burial site that dates to roughly the same time period was found at a site called Maozhouguo. I hope I pronounced that right. But it's also in northeastern China. And together, these discoveries suggest that an epidemic ravaged the entire region. It's already clear that epidemics can happen quick. But how the hell can they spread to the point of pandemic level? Well, epidemics are spread through three methods. Humans, animals, and inanimate objects usually water. But in all three ways, there must be a reservoir of infection in order for it to spread. Meaning, a contagious, or sorry, a continuous source of infection. Now, people who have symptoms of a disease are obvious reservoirs of infection, but some people may carry and spread the disease without showing any signs or symptoms. And others may harbor the disease during the symptomless stage called the incubation period, which is before symptoms occur. Or during the convalescent period, which is the time that they're recovering. Uh, like, you remember Kyle from the example I gave about the cupcakes? He gave the cupcakes to people after he had the flu. Well, it wasn't after, he was just in the convalescent stage. Fuck Kyle. <laughs> so, in the incubation period and the convalescent period, these actually fuel the epidemic because there's no apparent reason for people to take precautions. So, you may feel fine, but you're about to make others not so fine. Now, if I had to take a wild guess, I'd say that these two mass burial sites in northeastern China may have been along a major trade route or have traded directly with one another. See, this is an example of an epidemic within a region. And whatever happened here that caused villagers to gather the dead and burn their homes spread rapidly enough to make mass graves the only option. However, whatever it was, never spread further than northeastern China. But, how can it? Now, I mentioned that there's three ways in which an epidemic can spread to pandemic proportions. The second was through animals. And those diseases that spread from wild and domestic animals to humans are called zoonosis. So, Lyme disease spread by ticks, rabies spread by bats, skunks, foxes, cats, dogs, and the bubonic plague spread by rats are all examples of zoonosis. Now, if you're paying attention, your ears must have perked up a bit, because one of those was familiar. Or, maybe they all were, but one of them stands out. And that was the bubonic plague a.k.a. the Black Death. <laughs> so, if you're familiar with a little bit of history, then the story at the beginning of this episode may have clued you in on what my uh, 
favorite plague of all time is. Not only does it have a metal as fuck name, but it's also the subject of one of the most beautiful works of art that come out of the medieval Europe. I'm geeking out because I'm an art nerd and the Black Plague really did make gothic and medieval art look pretty gnarly. Subject matter included the apocalypse, hell, Satan, the Grim Reaper. It graced the canvases of generations of artists to come because of it. Now, I'm talking images like a black demon monster rising from the depths of hell, holding plague victims in each hand, terror and pain reflected on their faces while he bites another in half, spilling blood and guts fucking everywhere. Uh, you know what? I'll post these photos on the Facebook page. They're really something. You should take a look at them if you're into it. So, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, Black Plague. Um, <laughs> so, the Black Plague originated in China, and it had been ravaging Central Asia since 1331. And it was called by Yersinia pestis. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a virus that is present in fleas carried by rodents. And it traveled along the Silk Road as rodents migrated from Asia's famine-ridden lands until it came to Crimea. And it was destroying the Mongolian army at Kitchap Khan while they were besieging a Genoese trading post in Kaffa, Crimea in the year of 1347. Now, check this shit out. In a desperate act of what is now considered the first instance of biological warfare, Kitchap Khan started to catapult the plague-infected corpses of his army into the fucking town. Alexa, play Raining Men by the Weather Girls. Uh, so, the citizens moved the rotten bodies, dumping them into the sea as quickly as they could, but it was too late. The siege ended after negotiations between the Mongols and the city. However... Whoever was left in Kaffa after the siege fled to Europe, unknowingly bringing the plague to Constantinople in the spring, where it began to make its deadly march through the land. And those in Constantinople then fled to Cyprus, Alexandria, and Messina. And it wasn't long before the Black Death came knocking on Europe's door. Before the ships arrived there, there was news of a deadly sickness that had been spreading throughout China, then into India. Both places seeming to be worlds away from Italy, but Messina was a key to the whole continent of Europe. <clears throat> Excuse me. Just imagine going about your daily life in Italy at this time and hearing whispers of a sickness that's killing all those who have it, spreading as quickly as a horse can run full gallop from city to city, and village to village. <coughs> oh god. <coughs> I'm sorry. That makes for bad podcasting. My bad. I don't know what's up with my throat. I don't I don't have coronavirus, please. Don't report me. Um anyway. The the rapid spread of this plague almost seemed as if the horseman pestilence of the apocalypse himself had the reins, and in a few short months, in October of 1347, he had arrived in Italy upon those 12 ships from the Black Sea. And by December, the plague had reached Venice, 
Early next year, trade routes managed to help spread the plague to Syria, Palestine, Egypt, North Africa, Greece, France, and Spain. In the spring of that same year, it had reached the Pope's home in Avignon, France. Now, as you can imagine, during this time, there was quite a lack of understanding of diseases and how they were to be treated and contained. The Pope Clement the seventh, no, Pope Clement the sixth himself believed that the Black Death to be some kind of divine wrath cast upon the earth to atone for the sins of the world. And if the head of the haunt, if the head honcho of the Catholic faith believes it, you bet your scrawny ass that you, your neighbors, and the whole fucking population of Europe believes it too. So, who's to blame? What sins are we being punished for? Is it the heretics speaking against the Lord himself? Is it the Jews? What about witches? Well, it's fucking all of them. A majority of the blame fell upon the witches later in the 1600s when the plague made its way back into London after being dormant for 300 years. But the first scapegoats were in fact the Jews. Why is it always the Jews? My God! Sorry. So by the time fall of 1348 came around, there were rumors that the Jews had an international conspiracy to poison the Christians. Apparently the Jews had access to internet in the 1300s because, holy shit, they are extremely well coordinated. The chosen people are an elite club, and as such had exclusive early internet release access. So... What was the great international conspiracy that all the Jews were in on? It was to poison the water supply. Ha! Okay, that's convenient. Remember, I said there's three ways that diseases can spread. We talked about the first two, people and animals. If you're paying attention, then you'll remember that the last one was inanimate objects, usually water. Wow, look at us, coming full circle. It's almost as if I spent two hours every night for the past six nights doing research to make a very well-crafted script for this episode. Anyway, plenty of Christians thought that the Jews were poisoning their water supply. And unfortunately, so did the Count of Savoy, Amadeus VI. So, say you suspect a group of people committing a crime such as mm, poisoning your water supply. And you have no other proof other than the fact that they're Jewish. What do you do? Well, if you said fucking torture them into admitting their crimes, then you would be correct because that's exactly what Amadeus did. He ordered a group of Jews to be arrested and tortured until their spirits broke. And they gave false confessions of their crimes to end the torture. And they incriminated other Jews in the process. Honestly, I don't fucking blame them. If, you, if you're being tortured and you're getting, like, God, the, the Spanish horse or an Iron Maiden or they're just tearing off your fingernails, fuck, I would too. I'm not gonna lie. I would want to make it stop. Well, Amadeus had heard what he wanted to hear and sent word to the confessions to Switzerland and on down the Rhine River into Germany. And thousands of Jews were then rounded up butchered and burned to death for the crime of being Jewish. 
Jesus fucking Christ, am I writing an episode on Nazi Germany? My God. She's like, it's history, man. It just repeats itself. If it's not one thing, it's another, and it's for a different reason. But it's always the same shit. <sighs> so, why were the Jews to blame? Well, the answer's simple. During this time, the Jews were the wealthiest people. And if you weren't Jewish and you had a business, chances are you got a loan to start your business from a Jew. So if it wasn't religious hatred, then it was economic resentment towards the Jewish people that made them the perfect scapegoat for what everybody felt was the apocalypse. But the Pope Clement, he had enough. And he issued two decrees in 1348, one on the 6th of July and the second on the 26th of September that condemned the violence and said that those who blamed the plague on the Jews had been seduced by the liar the devil. He went on to emphasize that I'm going to try to do a voice here. It cannot be true that the Jews by such a heinous crime are the cause or occasion of the plague because through many parts of the world the same plague by the hidden judgment of God, has afflicted and afflicts the Jews themselves and many other races who have not ever lived alongside them. Unquote. Unquote. That was a terrible accent. I'm going to continue doing those. So, unfortunately, uh, no one gave a shit about what the Pope had to say. You know, people decide to listen to things and they... They kind of listen to what they want to hear, you know? So, on St. Valentine's Day, the next year, citizens of Strasbourg, Germany, now Strasbourg, France, had, and many other cities, captured and burnt 2,000 Jews. And in Basel, Switzerland, after they burned the Jews, they also passed a law that banned Jews from the city for the next 200 years. But that only lasted 19 years as the ban was lifted in 1368. So now that we know that the Jews were to blame for being Jewish, what about all them witches I mentioned? Well, they too got hunted and burned for their acts of heresy against our Lord and Savior. Duh. Now, I'm going to make this next little bit of fun facts quick, because if I get too much into it, I'm going to go off the rails into a tangent that can and will be a future podcast. So, in the 1660s, when the plague returned to kill 70,000 people in London, a majority of the blame fell on witches. You know, I'm glad the Jews finally got a break. There's a witchy side plot that has its roots in the late 12th century regarding witches and their feline familiars. So, in southern France, the first Inquisition was born, formed by religious courts in order to combat the spread of witchcraft. And it just so happens that when cities grow and people get sick from being in close proximity to one another, that some very inquisitive and paranoid individuals get a little suspicious of their neighbors. The strong, independent woman type of neighbors that like to have cats around his company. 
And being a single woman in those times was cause enough for people to think you were fucking odd. Owning or even remotely being near a cat while being a woman is just solid evidence that you're a witch. And when the Pope confirms all your suspicions by saying that cats were in cahoots with the devil and those witches were making people sick, you only have one option. You kill the cats. All Pope Gregory IX had to do was give the words, The evil black cat had fallen from the clouds, bringing unhappiness to man. And soon, 200,000 cats were dead, leaving rats free to roam and get into the alleys and houses and garbage dumps and public spaces. You know, all the places that cats like to be. So, the rat population was allowed to grow. And people started getting sick. And because of that, they started pointing fingers at neighbors, accusing them of witchcraft. And they were dealt with in the usual burning fashion. Fucking textbook. It's the way you get rid of a witch. Tie them up and you burn them. History knows that. So needless to say, this suspicion... Suspicion? (laughs) This superstition of black cats, or cats in general, according to medieval Europe, it was here to stay. And some scholars argue that this cat shortage was a contributing factor that allowed the bubonic plague to run rampant through Europe 200 years later. Now remember kids, in the eyes of the Europeans, witchcraft is only good if you're the Pope's astronomer or a clergyman, because then it's considered to be white magic. I swear to God, I'm going to eye roll so fucking hard, I'll go blind. One of these days, I know it, I just know it. So, we have the birth of the Black Death, and the scapegoats scapegoated for it. Let's look into what life was like during these dark times and how people managed to keep it all together in the face of uncertainty. They didn't. Uh, Jesus Christ, life during this time was a fucking mess. Imagine your entire village on the outskirts of the city being wiped out. Your neighbor Frank is dead. The sisters down the road, Millie and Tilly are dead. Your spouse is dead, no big deal. But your side piece is dead, and that's the real tragedy, because they let you milk their cow for free. Lucky for us, we do have first-hand accounts of the happenings on during this time. The Black Death inspired Giovanni Boccaccio to write the dead... Oh, God. The Decameron? It's a story of seven men and three women who escaped the disease by fleeing to a villa outside the city. So, here's an excerpt where Bukakyo recalls how lower-class citizens handled the dead. Quote, <clears throat> The plight of the lower and most of the middle classes were even more pitiful to behold. Most of them remained in their houses, either through poverty or in hopes of safety, and fell sick by thousands. Since they received no care, no attention, almost all of them died. Many ended their lives in the streets both at night and during the day, and many others who died in their houses were only known to be dead because the neighbors smelled their decaying bodies. Dead bodies filled every corner. Most of them were treated in the same manner by the survivors, 
who were more concerned to get rid of the rotting bodies than moved by charity towards the dead. With the aid of porters, if they could get them, they carried the bodies out of the houses and laid them at the door, where every morning quantities of the dead might be seen. Then they were laid on beers, or, as these were often lacking, on tables. End quote. So, churches were running out of spaces to bury the dead. Graveyards turned into holding bays, where trenches were dug and bodies were thrown in, one on top of the other. And these trenches would be left open for days. And once they were full, they would be covered up. In some cases, as one account claims, the Rhine was blessed so bodies could be disposed of in the river because there was absolutely no more consecrated ground to bury the dead. Some people left the city to fend for themselves in the countryside, where they formed very small communities and refused to discuss any news of the plague. And the old uh, out-of-sight, out-of-mind trick works well. Others who stayed in the cities just shut themselves in their homes and prayed for all to blow over soon. And still others went about their daily lives as normally as they could, avoiding the sickest parts of the cities as best they could, clutching flowers or perfumes in their hands to hold to their face as they walked, because the only scent in the air was those of rotting corpses and medicines that had no effect. See, doctors had no clue how to handle the sick. And the most common symptoms of the bubonic plague were swelling in the lymph nodes and the armpits, the groin, or the neck that grew to the size of a chicken egg. Fever, chills, weakness, and headaches. And if the plague bacteria managed to multiply in your bloodstream, then you were categorized as septismic plague. Which is... The symptoms include everything that I just mentioned. And in addition, abdominal pain, diarrhea, vomiting, bleeding from your mouth, nose, rectum, or under your skin, shock, and blackening and dead tissue in your extremities. Most commonly your fingers. And your toes. And your nose. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Uh, finally, the pneumonic plague. It affects the lungs, and it's the least common variety of the plague, but it's the most dangerous because it can spread from person to person via cough droplets. It seems familiar. So, signs and symptoms can begin within hours after infection. Hours! Not days! Fucking hours! This thing tore through you. So... Symptoms may include cough with bloody mucus. I actually, okay, so pause here. Before recording this, the night, the night before, I had a, I, I guess I must have been having a uh, really weird dream. Um, and with all the research that I'm doing for this, uh, in my dream, I have I have really bad allergies, so my nose gets it gets stuffy at night. And sometimes it makes it hard for me to breathe through my nose. And I could tell in my dream 
that my body was having a hard time breathing because I felt like I was having a labored breath. It felt like I was having a hard time fucking breathing. But in my dream, the way that my dream interpreted what was going on with my waking body was uh, that I was bleeding inside my body. So in my dream, I would cough and cough and I ended up coughing up just a a a lot of blood right into my hand. It was my dream. It was weird. It felt felt real when I woke up, but it was a dream. So there's that. This is what happens when you do research. A lot of it. Anyway, symptoms of the pneumonia plague include cough with bloody mucus, i.e. my dream, difficulty breathing, nausea and vomiting, high fever, headache, weakness, and chest pain. Now, pneumonia plague progresses rapidly and may cause respiratory failure and shock within two days of infection. And it needs to be treated with antibiotics within a day after the signs and symptoms appear or the infection is likely to be fatal. Ah, I guess. Antibiotics. The one thing that they did not have back in the days of the plague. And the reason why so many people died. Aren't you just fortunate to live in a world with scientific advancements? So by 1350, the plague finally started to loosen its clutches on the citizens of the world. But why did we find a cure? Were all those bloodletting and leech therapy sessions at the local barbershop working? Fuck no. The Black Plague just ran out of people to infect. That's how an epidemic and pandemic work. A virus is introduced to a population, then it spreads and keeps spreading until it reaches a maximum. And once it does, it begins to subside because it just runs out of people to infect. Either because they've died they've already had the disease or they had the virus and they just developed an immunity to it. All in all, an estimated 125 million people died from the Black Death. It took the European population 200 years, 200 years to recover. And in some regions, like Florence, it took five hundred years. Now it's it's no wonder the Black Death was a constant source of inspiration for generations of artists, authors, poets, and musicians. And when faced with the deadly plague and in a quarantine, there's always time for reflection. And there's also time to start a podcast, which is what I did, but... Here's a diary entry written during the rise of the Black Plague in 1348. Quote. March 3rd, 1348. Dear diary, my name is Sarah Himes. I have never written in a diary before, so please bear with me. The Black Death happened to hit our village, and I am starting to see how scary and horrible things happening everywhere around me. I figured that you would be the best place to record these events. It is 1348, and I am turning 21 this year. However, by the looks of the way things are going in the village, I'm just hoping that it might make it to my birthday. I've seen children being left behind everywhere. Parents are fleeing for their lives, and at the point... And are at the point 
where there aren't even considered their own children. It is absolutely horrifying. I have tried to go to the church and pray about what's going on, but all the clergy is leaving, and even the powerful church is struggling with what to do. I almost feel like I am on an island, all alone. I did not contact the plague, and I am still hoping to stay safe while helping others in my village. This is my prayer. Please, God, if ever we need your help, it is now. I have very little faith left, and I know very few people still believe. Give us a miracle if you can. That's all for now, diary. Sarah Himes. End quote. Okay, not gonna lie. Aside from the uh, the shit accent I did, that gave me chills the first time I read it. it was like reading all this information about the history isn't as impactful as reading first-hand accounts. I wonder if 700 years from now, when some loser starts a podcast about strange stuff, that they'll use Facebook statuses to use as examples of the effect of the coronavirus on society. Wait, that sounds familiar. So here's a sonnet I found that I enjoyed. as by Thomas Nash, titled, A Litany in the Time of Plague. <clears throat> Quote, Adieu, farewell, earth's bliss. This world uncertain is. Fond are life's lustful joys, and death proves them all but toys. None from his darts can fly. I am sick. I must die. Lord have mercy on us. End quote. You know, Talking about pandemics makes me realize that humans are fragile. Like we, we spend our lives believing that we're at the top of the food chain, right? We've mastered methods of complex communication. We've defied biological fate by inventing ways to fly. And we developed numerous ways to use the environment and all it has to offer to better ourselves and grow all the while figuring out how we can kill one another and assign a value to a piece of paper based on the amount of shiny rocks we own but what do we all fear think about it you wake up with a scratchy throat a headache a runny nose or you feel an odd lump somewhere on your body that wasn't there before or was it? We fear sickness. Microscopic viruses that can infect us and decommission our bodies from life for days, weeks, months at a time. The number one predator is afraid of something that it can't see, but it has the power to end us if we let it go unchecked. See, what we're going through right now isn't new. And it's something that's been happening for as long as humans have walked the earth. And after all we've done to the earth? Fuck, man, who knows? Maybe you need a global pandemic every once in a while to give the world time to heal. To quote George Carlin, Planet Earth will be just fine. Mother Nature is in the process of 
purging herself of we, the parasitic human virus. Well, there it is, guys. Episode two of another strange podcast in the books. Uh, This is the first research topic, and I sincerely hope that you enjoyed it. This is the type of content that you can expect every other week. And it's more than the casual free-for-all episodes. So, if you aren't into the more formal episodes, then you can always just check out the free-for-alls. But, that's all I gotta say about that. Thanks for listening. Everyone, please stay healthy. Look out for one another. And remember that this will all blow over soon. And... Like I said in every other episode, if you have anything strange to share, let me know. Share it with me. I'd love to read it on air. I like reading your stories, and I love all the positive feedback that I've gotten from the first 1.5 episodes. So, until next time, please stay healthy. And uh, have a good one.